Okay, let's just let's just pray. Jesus, we love the word of God because it sets us free. And it was because of freedom that you came. And so, Father, we are free people because you told us that we were free. Because who the sun sets free is free indeed. So, Father, we just want to celebrate in that freedom. We just come and speak your word to us in any areas that we need a little bit of freeing up this morning. We ask you for more freedom. Experientially, that we will walk into more freedom today as a result of this message. For your glory, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen. So, um, one of the core messages of our church is the message of identity, of who we are in Christ. And I, I want to just talk about identity today, but I want to talk about it in a particular way. Uh, perhaps this is a way you've not heard it talked about before, but who am I in relation who I am defines who God is to me. I want to talk about our identity as the revelation of who God is. Have you ever thought about it like that? I mean, for years I've read the book of Ephesians and it's been about who I am. And then I just had a moment where I thought, hold on a minute. If all of what God has said about who I am is true, then what does that say about him? And that's what I want to look at today. So Ephesians chapter 1. Verses 3 to 5, Ephesians chapter 1, 3 to 5, go like this. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms. Anybody feeling a bit earthbound? Your blessing is in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. To the praise of his glorious grace, which he's freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with, here's the scale, the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. That's the word of the Lord. Amen. You know, like so many then, I've read this passage, I've spoken about it, I've written about it, and thought about it, and my own identity in the light of all of these things that it says. And it's understandable because the book of Ephesians is littered with mind-blowing revelations about the full extent of what Christ has done for us in relating us back to God. But the words have become so familiar. In Christ, holy and blameless, made alive, chosen, loved, adopted, redeemed, forgiven. These things have become concepts to us that are so familiar that I fear that they might have lost their impact. 
And the reality is that I don't think any of us are ever going to come to terms fully with all that is revealed to us in those pages anyway. So we need different ways of looking at things. And we need to keep coming back to identity. But how about identity then from God's perspective? So that's the mind shift I want to make with you today. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, what does it... what? What does the new identity we've been given reveal about God and who he is and what he is like? I mean, what kind of God would call me holy and blameless? What kind of God would forgive you? What kind of God would adopt me into his family? Who is he that loves me and chooses me? even before I was born. What does it say that I can be redeemed with the blood of his own perfect son? What does our identity reveal about him so that we can know him a whole lot better? And I could have chosen any of these identity words, but I just want to choose one today. I want to choose that word adopted. We are adopted into his family. What does that say about God and who he is, and what he's like, adopted. I've got to say, I'm already out of my depth, because I have no experience of adoption myself, personally. I know what it is to be a son, but my mum and dad are actually my biological parents. So already the impact of adoption is theoretical to me, I've never adopted a child. I once rescued a puppy, and that didn't go so well. But I am learning about what it means to be adopted to sonship by my Heavenly Father and the incredible significance of this. Hopefully, I've got something useful to say about it. But I do want to talk to you about a good friend of mine who has a lot more experience. So some of you know Phil, Phil Wilthew. Uh, He knows about adoption because although he wasn't personally adopted, his little brother was. And so he's given me permission to use this story because I think it's such a great illustration. So for many years, Phil was an only child because his parents were unable to have any more children. And so when he was about 14 years old, his mum and dad came to him one day with this proposal, let's adopt a child together as a family. How about that? Father, son, mother. Let's adopt a child together as a family. So Phil had this amazing privilege to be part of this great decision. For months they prayed that God would show them which of the hundreds of children up for adoption they should consider. They pored over pictures, turned pages in directories, and reviewed the many heartbreaking stories. And finally, they all agreed on one little boy. And so they made all the necessary arrangements to adopt him. And Phil says he still remembers vividly the day when they went together as a family to collect this little boy and bring him home to welcome him into their family. Can you imagine? Wow. And I was just so struck by the poignancy of this picture of a father, mother, and son, sitting down together to choose a child 
for adoption. A child who, just like us, had nothing, had done nothing to merit their choice. He didn't even know they were thinking about him. They didn't know. He didn't know that they were planning to adopt him as their son. And, you know, this little boy, he was damaged. He was so damaged. He was broken. He had extraordinary needs because of the neglect that he'd suffered, the abuse. And years to come, this child would cause them so much heartache and pain. He was often able to understand or receive the love that his new family tried to give him. But that adoption was real. It was still real. Even though he couldn't quite come to terms with it, he couldn't quite receive it and understand it, the adoption was still real. From the moment that those papers were signed and that little boy was welcomed into their home, he became a part of their family and for the rest of his life, things would never be the same again because he was a you now. Complete change of identity to come to terms with. That's adoption. That's adoption. The parallels are there for us to see about the huge cost and the sacrifice that was involved, our own brokenness and the damage that's been done to us, how the choice was completely unknown to us, actually undeserved. Paul tells us that we were chosen before we knew anything about it, before the creation of the world, verse 4, before we even existed. And just like Phil's brother, from the moment of our adoption, we're brought into his family too, God's family. We get a new royal surname adopted by the king. And it's significant, that word adoption in verse 5 is a legal term referring to the full legal standing of an adopted male heir in Roman culture. And don't be put off by the male heir bit. God's adoption of us means the same rights are given to both men and women as for human natural born male heirs. And with our adoption is a position of rulership and authority. Martin Lloyd-Jones says that adoption by God is a way of conferring on us our standing, our status, our rank, our privilege, and our position. Okay, so that should make you put your head up a bit. That should make you put your shoulders back a bit. You're royal. You're part of his royal family now. That should make you lift your head up. No more looking down and and, and, and wondering about what's going on down there somewhere. It's all up here. Ever seen the royals, how they walk around as if they own the place? Because they do. Some of you need to practice that walk. No more shuffling. Walking. This is my father's world. Amen? And notice we're not called children of God in this context. We're not adopted as children, but as sons. And that's because it's the word for adult sons. Why? Because children had no rights under Roman law. It didn't matter who they were, until they came of age, they had no say in anything, no authority in the house. 
children, as Paul says in Galatians 4.1, had the standing that was no different to that of slaves. You're not called slaves. You're not a slave. He didn't choose us as slaves, but as sons. He raised our status to that of legal heirs. See, God's plan for us was never to be infants in his kingdom. Never. I'm just a little child. I have nothing to offer. I have no say. He never raised us like that. Powerful sons and daughters who exercise authority in his name. That's what he raised us for. Got any authority? Jesus said you only have to point at a mountain and command it to move, and it moves. That's the kind of authority. You only need faith the size of a grain of mustard. That's the smallest of seeds. That's not big faith. That's little faith. Anybody got little faith? In that faith and your authority to exercise it is the power to move mountains. Some of you are not convinced by what I've just said. It's in the Bible. God didn't choose us as slaves. Powerful sons who exercise authority in his name. What kind of God does that? What kind of God? I mean, do you know the status that you've been given in God's house? From the least to the greatest, the authority that's been conferred upon you to act in his name as a representative in the name of Jesus. When you say in the name of Jesus, it's because you are in that name. You have the authority, the commission, the backup of heaven to exercise authority in that name. You are adopted to reign with him and seated in a place of incredible significance in the heavenly realms. Ephesians 2, 6. I mean, that is completely staggering mind-blowing, crazy, and if I dare say it, completely unnecessary. Why? Why do I need that? I mean, why? Why did God need to go so far? Why was adoption even necessary unless it says something incredibly important about who he is? And what he is like. Why adoption? I mean, wasn't it enough just to deal with our sin? To save us, to cleanse us, to heal us. Why adopt us? We could have just been grateful servants or slaves to do his bidding. Surely that would be better off with our obedience as slaves and the disgrace of sons who could bring the family name into disrepute. Ever thought about that? When somebody falls, it brings the family name into disrepute. Why take the risk? Just make me a slave and I haven't got a choice. Why? I mean, isn't it enough just to put a beggar back in his feet? Put food in his belly and a roof over his head? Surely we deserve even less than this. We'd be grateful for this, to be saved from our sin, to have a clear conscience, a guaranteed place in heaven. Why was it necessary to bring us into his house and make us a part of his royal family?
Well, because in this, in this adoption of us is the revelation of who he is. It's about who he is to us and who we are to him. We are made part of a family. We're not part of a company where we get to work for him. We're not part of a charity where we get to volunteer for him. Not even part of a restaurant where we get to wait on him and serve him. We're called into a family. And the family of God is where he is our father and we are his daughters and his sons. We get to call the God of this universe, Dad, Papa, Father. And know him like that. Know him like our affectionate and loving father. Do you know him like that? That's who he is to us. Do you know him like that? God is your dad. He's never too busy. He's never angry though. God wants us in his family to father us. That was the original plan. He was never just the creator who made us in a hasty, fumble, one-night stand. He was never just the provider who did the bare minimum, but at least he looked after our needs. He was never just the saviour who came to take away our sin and a free pass into eternity. No, he came to make us a family where omnipotent God of the universe is our dad in heaven. My dad is bigger than your dad. <laughs> Ever thought to say that to the world? My dad's bigger than your dad. He's, he's, he's got more than your dad. He's more powerful than your dad. Ever boast about your dad when you were a kid at school? I did. Behind his back, never to his face. <laughs> My dad's better than your dad. Which is why Jesus, when he comes, tells us how to address him when we pray. He says, call him Father. Because that's his name. It's the name he's always wanted to be known by since the beginning of time. Father. God always wanted to be known as Father, but for generations before Jesus came, he was rarely known as Father, only seven times, 17 times as Father in the whole of the Old Testament, compared to 261 times in the New Testament, because that's where the revelation came, through Jesus. And even when he does appear as Father in the Old Testament, the title is used in more of a biological than a relational sense. Father and creator. The one who brings forth life. Not this intimate word that speaks about a family relationship with God. Actually, Jesus tells us to call him Abba. Abba. Father. This is a term of great intimacy and also great respect. And in some cultures, even today, Father is a title as well as a name. And the Spirit, Paul tells us, witnesses to this truth. He says he cries out within us, Abba, Father, 
When, when did you last connect with that cry? The spirit you receive doesn't make you slaves, Paul says, so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. Not by our education. It's an inward witness where something in us cries, you got that? Have you got the inner witness? Does it come from there? The unique revelation of adoption then is in God's fatherhood. That he would know us as our father, which is presumably why Paul starts this outpouring of praise in verse 3 of Ephesians 1 with, The words, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it defines the nature of his relationship to us. Because, well, God is highly relational. Did you know that? He wants us to know him in relationship. A relationship that's not based on the fear of slaves, not the distance of servants, but as a father of sons. So what does this mean about what God is like? I mean, we've all had our own experiences of what a father is like. Some good experiences, some not so good. But what's our heavenly father like? Well, look, this is the the key that unlocks the revelation for me. What's the father like? Take a look at his son. What's your father in heaven like? Look at Jesus. They're the same. The father is revealed through the son. His son, because only a son can truly represent, represent the father. Some say I'm like my dad. I'm a lot like my mum as well. But the genetics, the the fashioning, the, the years, it rubs off. <laughs> I'm proud to be like my dad. Jesus was the complete representation of the Father. Jesus came to show us what the Father is like, really like. In fact, Jesus is the exact representation of the Father. That's what it says in Hebrews 1.3. He's the image of the invisible God. Colossians 1.15. Jesus even told his disciples, anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. John 14.9. There is no difference. If you want to see what the Father is like, Jesus says, look at me. If you want to know what the Father does, watch me. If you want to hear what the Father says, listen to me. Jesus says, I and my Father are one. John 10.30, I am in the Father and he is in in me. John 14.10, everything that Jesus did was an exact representation of God, the Father. He was showing us what the Father was like and how we were designed to relate to him. He showed us that God is not distant, he's not uncaring, he's not hard, he's not unfeeling, he's not remote from our suffering, he's not too busy for us. He's the revelation of what God the Father is like. He's like Jesus. 
He's loving, he's patient, he's merciful and kind. The Father is full of grace. He heals, he forgives, he never gives up. Actually, if you watch Jesus, you'll see that the Father even prefers the company of sinners to that of religious people. That's what he's like. Do you know him like that? Or is your father a bit sniffy? A bit distant? He would never be the one that runs to the the son who's covered in pig dirt. But that's what the father's like. He runs and he embraces and he lifts off the feet. He, He disgraces himself with love. I don't know what your view of God the Father has been, but is it like this? Is he like Jesus? Do you know him like that as your Father? Well, how do you address him when you pray? That's how you know. Think about it. What is the unconscious name that goes up to God when you turn your heart to him? Because sometimes it's Lord. Sometimes it's God. Sometimes it's Jesus. Sometimes it's Holy Spirit. And none of these names are wrong. But what is the name that comes instinctively into your heart when you cry out, It's got to be Father! Dad! Father! That's how I knew I was born again, you know. That's how I knew, because the cry went up instinctively in a time of crisis and trouble. It was Father, because I'm his son. And that's how I'm related to him. I'm in the family. Father! Paul says the Spirit cries out from within us, Abba, Father. What I found is that people rarely have a problem with praying Lord, God, or even Jesus, the Son, but many have stalled over addressing him with the intimacy of that word, Father. There's a challenge in calling God Father and really knowing it and meaning it. It can often raise issues for people because Father has got all kinds of connotations for the memories that stick, experiences that don't match up to their idea of God as Father. I had a lady once who would only pray to God and Jesus because she was abused by her father. And so the idea of addressing God as Father was just too painful for her. I'm okay with Jesus. I like him. I even like the Holy Spirit, but I'm not so keen on the Father. So she needed healing. She needed a lot of healing and she needed revelation. And we asked Jesus to take her to her Father and introduce them to one another. Because if you like Jesus, they're the same. Do you need healing? There's healing. There's healing for you. You can relate to God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Now, they're one, but there are different aspects of his his relationship, his relational connection with you. 
so that you can have an intimate relationship with God. That's what it's about. That's how you can know him as you are known when you can connect to God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. I don't know if this is something you relate to, but your Heavenly Father is nothing like your dad. He's not. He's not harsh. He's not judgmental. He's not unreliable. He's not abusive. He is nothing like any of those things that your earthly father had no right or business to be. Your heavenly father is the father that you always wanted. You know when you look to other people's dads and said, I wish my dad was like that? Well, he is more than that. He's the father you always wished your dad had been. He's the only perfect father that even the best of our earthly dads could never hope to be. He's the father who gives you your identity and raises you as blood-bought royal sons and daughters. He's the father that means that you are no longer fatherless. No longer abandoned. No longer rejected. He loves you. 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 Say it. He loves me. He loves me. He loves me. He's the father I always wanted. He loves me. Oh, get excited about something. That's the thing to get excited about. The father of the universe loves me. I don't know how it's possible. I can hardly believe it, but it's the best news I've ever heard that God loves me. And sometimes I doubt, sometimes I struggle, sometimes I fall, but this is the thing I keep coming back to. He loves me. Unconditionally. That's the most wonderful news. That's the gospel. We have a Father in heaven who loves us. Do you know God like that? Do you know the father that you've always longed for as your dad? And are you ready to receive his love? There's there's just so much of it to discover. Or perhaps you just need a bit of healing. I need a bit of help with that. That's all right. He's up for it. Ever felt that ache? That hole, that longing? Because I believe that God wants to reveal his love to some of you today. The love of a father who's adopted you into his family. A father whose legacy for you is only good. You have a royal inheritance in this family and it's nothing like your earthly family. This is what it means to be born again. To be brought into a new family that's connected to the father's love. And I realize that this, I mean, when we've done these sorts of talks before, we've taken six months over it. <laughs> because I realize that for some of you, it's quite a big issue, this, what I've talked about. I've raised, like, the biggest issue in the issue of identity in one talk, that God is your father. And I realize that it might be a big issue. And I don't want to give you the impression that, 
I could just may, wave a magic wand and make it all go away. I think sometimes we've been guilty of that, especially in the charismatic church. I don't want to make light of your pain or give you any promises of a quick fix here. But I want to encourage you to start off on your path of healing today, if that's what you need. Start, take the first step. Take just the first step. Rob says that God loves me, and he's my father, and he's like Jesus. So I'd like to get to know somebody like that. Take the first step. Just take the first step today. The first step is to change the way that you think about God as Father. This means renouncing some lies and replacing them with some truth. This is just the first step to opening the door for the Holy Spirit to work in your life and bring you back to wholeness. So I've got some declarations for you. It's going to come up on the screen. And I just want to give you a minute or two, just to work through them. Maybe you can, with the person next to you, I was going to get everybody to do it all at once, but just maybe in, in a, just say it together with somebody near you. Just stand with one another. Put your hand on one another if you're comfortable to do that. And I just want you to work through this on your own for a few moments or with the person sat next to you and just say, I renounce the lie. And when you say the words, and perhaps number one, distant and uninterested, that kind of, ooh, I renounce the light, ooh, that, that, doesn't, that hurts a bit. Just spend a moment on that. Lord, I'll bring, heal, bring some healing in there, please. I renounce the light. And then, when you've renounced the light, joyfully accept the truth, or I announce the truth that my father is the opposite of what I've experienced. And I'm just going to give you, I don't know, five minutes to just work through that, and then I'm going to pray for you, and we're going to close. Okay? Go for it. I'm just going to pray for you. Um, church, can we stand together as I pray? And I was thinking about getting you to repeat it after me, but we, we are kind of short of time. So at, e at the end of each paragraph, just nod amen or whatever. Respond as we go through. If this is you, if this resonates with you, just agree with me as we go through. So I'll leave a gap at the end of each sentence. Here we go. Father, I've not always seen you as I should. I've seen you as distant from me, even harsh or uncaring. And now I see that this isn't true. And so I choose right now to change the way that I think. And this is because I realize that my thinking's been damaged by my experiences. And I want to bring those to you today. And I want to bring to the cross all my pain. And Father, I want to ask you to heal the wounds in my heart. Put your hand on your heart if that's you. I thank you that through Jesus Christ I'm no longer an orphan, 
but a child of God. And so I repent of thinking anything that's contrary to this. And I joyfully receive the new identity that I have as your royal son or daughter. And I choose right now, Lord, and I I know I need a bit of time, but I choose right now coldly to forgive my earthly father and those that have been like fathers to me in just the same way that I have also been forgiven by you. Holy Spirit, search my heart and reveal any areas of unforgiveness so that I can forgive from the heart. Please, Lord, work on me. I'm a work in progress. Anybody else? Father, I know that I am your delightful work in progress. But I take this step of faith today. And I position myself to receive the full extent of the revelation of the Father's love. I invite you, Lord, put your hand on your hearts. I invite you, Lord, to come into my life again. Whatever extent of revelation I need today, I want more. And I ask you to continually father me, revealing your love to me personally. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Praise you, Jesus. Amen.